Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. To hear uh, we together, the people of God, just singing praises, rejoicing in the reality of who he is. I'm sure you've noticed this morning that Isaac and Melissa are absent. Unless they're in the cry room, but I don't think so. I think they're listening online. If you have not heard, uh, baby Luca has arrived. All right, so they're enjoying some, is it maternity and paternity leave? So just uh, keep them in mind, and they are really grateful to God uh, for the birth of Luca. Turn with me in your Bible again this morning uh, to Mark chapter 7. I am just uh, taking a slight couple of week break from the book of Exodus, wanting to just start off uh, the year, uh, looking to see... Um, how God can speak to us about preparing us for the coming months that lie ahead. So chapter 7, I did start the series last week, and it's just three messages. God willing, uh, next week will be the, the last one. So follow with me. Now then, the Pharisees gathered to him some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you did would have, been, would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, 
coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. We bow, Lord, our heads before you, uh, thanking you for our time of corporate worship, remembering that you are present among us, and Lord, even your spirit within us as believers. And so as we turn to your word, we do pray that you would, Lord, continue to grow us in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, giving us insight, Lord, into that which is from you and of you, and, Lord, helping us to set aside and shed that which is of the flesh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought I'd introduce this message this morning by, by telling you that I do at times, it may not look like it, but I do at times wash my car. Uh, uh, take some time and, and effort and uh, put some uh, water and soap and all the rest of the things and, and clean the car, polish the car, and feel very proud when the job is done. However, on many occasions, and again, I'm not sure if you can identify with this, it rains. And I don't want to drive the car. But I do. I drive the car, and sure enough, there's going to be a puddle, there's going to be mud, and the car gets dirty. And I get that kind of empty feeling in my stomach. What a waste of time. Why didn't I just leave the car dirty? Now, I say that this morning. It's trivial. It's insignificant. But it, it helps us to think, I believe, about the fact that washing your car, sure, and getting it getting dirty can be an irritation. However, imagine, imagine for a moment, imagine while we introduce this message this morning, spending your entire life devoted to religious activity, devoted to the church, devoted to God, only to find at the end of your life, that you're part of a large group of people that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 7, where he says the most frightening verse to me in the Bible, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever wondered about that? That would be more than gut-wrenching. Coming closer to our passage this morning, imagine being amongst those who Isaiah prophesied about, prophesied He said that there will be, and Jesus, in this particular passage, said of the Pharisees and scribes, this people honors me with their lips. Now remember, they were religious people. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so in doing so, and this is the reason I'm coming to this passage, Jesus exposes some fatal spiritual pitfalls. And as I thought about it, I thought the the, the road ahead in, in 2023 for you and for us could be like the South African roads, filled with potholes. And, and, and if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you will damage your car. But spiritually, if you're not careful, if you're not diligent, if you're not discerning, it is possible to fall into these spiritual pitfalls, sadly affecting your relationship with God. Now I spoke of the first spiritual pitfall last week, uh, identified uh, by Jesus and, and what I focused on and called it the state, the spiritual state 
of your heart. It explicitly stated there, their heart is far from me. Something we constantly need to be thinking about in terms of our tenderness toward God, our inclinations to love God with heart and soul and mind and strength. And and the reality is that hard hearts develop in the context of the community of faith. We, it, it happens to any one of us. It happens to all of us at times. Our hearts can get cold and, and distant toward God, and, and the capacity to honor God is reduced. Something we need to look out for. We need to watch. It's so easy to get caught up with misdirected religion sincerely involved in that which is not pleasing to God, which is of man's making, and that's what I'm going to look at this morning, and what Jesus describes as mere lip service. In vain. For nothing. I did confess last weekend, and the message, it's easy to wing it in ministry. I can wing it in the pulpit, and I think you can wing it in the particular ministry or life that you conduct. But, but, but that doesn't honor God. And so paying lip service to God, going through the motions of doing church, even sincerely participating on our terms, Jesus describes as really symptomatic of hypocrisy. And it does not correspond to a heart challenge that we need to to, to constantly be working on a heart that is wholly devoted to God. And so will 2023 for you be a year where you're wanting to give yourself completely in dependence, in surrender to God? Hearts that are not fully devoted to God have a tendency of letting go of the commands of God, verse 8, and holding on to the traditions of men. So that brings us to the second pitfall or pothole that we need to avoid in 2023. I want you to think about this morning the source of your authority. Who governs your life? What is the source? Prompts the question. Uh, as we consider this passage, who do we submit to? Who do you submit to in daily decision making? Who do you consider worth obeying? Are you personally, and we always consider the word of God on a personal level, but as a church, as we stand at the beginning of a new year, our leaders are gathering on Saturday for a leader's day. Are we a church submitting to the, to, to the right authority? Are we doing things? Are we acting in ways that are invented by men that are not originated by God? And so to put it in the terminology that Jesus uses, are we traditionalists, which raises the question, and I uh, want to explore this passage now. Number one, the first point, does tradition have any value? So I looked up some definitions, a general definition of tradition is an opinion or belief or custom handed down from one generation to another. And I think in a general sense, all of us in our families have certain traditions. Uh, Christmas time, for example, I know our family, we have traditionally enjoyed a Christmas lunch. But now my sons have got married, and my daughter-in-law, we shared Christmas with them in Peter Maritzburg this year. Their tradition is to celebrate Christmas meal Christmas Eve. That was odd. (laughs) But tradition, 
bringing it closer to perhaps the religious context, uh, Jaroslav Pelikan, this is the man, I liked what he said. He said, tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Or he adds, traditionalism is the dead faith of those still living. And that's where we need to be thinking, searching our hearts this morning. You see, people of faith in the past have sought to apply the word of God in their day, and rightly so. We, we, we ought to apply the word of God. It, it makes sense that, that every community, every person of faith applies the word of God in their real life situation. It's a simple example. Uh, take a passage like 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Peter says, They offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, people do that in different ways. I've been in churches. That one community, one local church could have a, a, a bring and share potluck lunch on a Sunday after service. I'm sure some of you have been in churches like that. And, and do that once a month or do that every week. And, and that just simply becomes the tradition of the church. Other churches or other communities may do that differently. They might invite people to an individual's home. Different application, but nevertheless implementing the important principle. Is that right? Of course it's right. So, yes, societies and communities need traditions. We at Central Baptist need traditions. We need guidelines. We need ideas. We need to know how to apply the principal issues in practical and specific ways. Jesus himself did not reject tradition. If you look back in the book of Mark to chapter 2, he recognized the need for wine skins, using the analogy of wine skins. And the wine skins simply represented different forms, different traditions, uh, structures and forms that, that need to hold the wine. And, and why does it need that? It stops the wine from spilling all over the place, principally indicating the presence of structure eliminates chaos. So we don't want to be a church of chaos. We want to be a church of structure. And so we, we do need to know, we do need to plan how we do things. How does the Central Baptist Church operate? Taking the, 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 the principal issues and applying it, and the way we do it might be different to the way Constantia Park Baptist Church does it, or uh, the Assemblies of God Church does it. But, but how do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? How do we participate together in giving? What time do we meet? Uh, personally, when do you have a quiet time? What is your practice? What is your habit? What is your tradition? And so, yes, does, the tradition, does tradition have value? Does it have a place in the life of the believer in the church? It does. Second question. Can tradition be out of place? Well, Jesus warns about wineskins that become old and brittle. Wineskins that no longer serve the intended purpose. So Mark chapter 2 again, verse 22, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. New wine is for fresh Wine skin. So when, when tradition replaces the principle, or 
in the context of our passage, when tradition takes priority over the commands of God, then we have a problem. It's then counterproductive, it's then dangerous, and in fact it can even be evil, as it now undermines God's commands and the purposes of God. So we go to our passage, and for those who weren't here last week, just let me remind you, the original concern that these Pharisees and scribes had for purity was legitimate. They were concerned because they knew the biblical command that all priests were to wash their hands in the bronze basin, if you go to Exodus 30, before they entered the tent of meeting to be in the presence of this holy God. So the practice, the understanding was that the priest could only approach a holy God having purified themselves in preparation for being in the presence of God. So, but time, and this is always the problem with, with tradition that goes wrong. This was a priestly requirement that was given by God, and it grew to become something different. It grew to, became, to become a requirement for everybody and anybody. And so we read in chapter 7, verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, no, not just the priests, do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to, to the tradition of the elders. Now the principal issue that we need to read and, and learn from this, an original directive from God to the priests in a particular context for a particular reason became a universal and binding tradition from the elders to the Jews. See the problem. Verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and you hold on to the tradition of men. There's a dangerous tendency in Christian communities, religious communities, that over a period of time, hard-heartedness, hard hearts of religious people, hard hearts of religious leaders are prone to place traditions above God's word. And that the example given yet, given in verse 9 down to verse 12, is it, uh, about them rejecting the commandment of God, Moses having told them in verse 10, honor your father and mother. So what, what were they doing? They're supposed to look after their parents. They're supposed to honor their parents. But what they do is they find an excuse. The word used in our passage is, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin. In other words, they said, you know what? We, we're giving to God something so we don't have to look after our parents. They're simply justifying their misdirected actions. They knew the fifth commandment. They knew it, it included taking care of the parents. But they found a way out. Scribal tradition offered a way to get around it, simply to say that one's possessions were Corbin. I give to my church, so I'm not going to give to my parents. It's a twisting, it's a distorting, it's a minimizing of God's word. And so to answer the question, can tradition be out of place? Yes, it can be. We must not forget that tradition can be useful, it is useful, it can be valuable, but tradition must not be master. It must be servant. It must be the servant to God and His gospel. Which brings me to my third point and really the application and conclusion of this message. 
How can tradition here at Central Baptist Church be a servant to God and his gospel? Think about this as we uh, pursue ministry in 2023. Firstly, traditions may need to change from time to time. We've got to do that, and it's difficult. It's difficult to change what we've been doing, especially because we have been a church that has existed since 1889. And so there are practices. There is an ethos that we constantly need to be looking at, to be considering, to say, have we now evolved? Have we been diverted? And are we following the commandments of men and abandoning the commandments of God. Very important that we consider that. We, need to, we do need to know we live in a changing world. Sylvia, I just remembered. Where's Sylvia? I just remembered looking at your, uh, one of your celebrations with you and Liz. We, we saw a clip of your wedding. And I don't want to embarrass you today, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> Wasn't it? And, and the wedding was down in Beatrix Street. And, and, and the world was different. So it was a black and white clip. It was cars that none of them are, had ever seen other than in a museum. And, and, and everybody had hats on. The world in 2023 is different. How do we minister to this world? I found a statement some years ago that has stayed with me, and, and I've repeated it before, and I'll say it again. statement by theologian Helmut Thilica. He said this. The gospel must be constantly forwarded to a new address because the recipient is repeatedly changing its place of residence. And that's so. You can't do things the way you did things in, it wasn't, it was 1900 and something. I was going to say 1800. You, you can't. We, we need to be like the men of Issachar. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. What is it that Central Baptist Church ought to do? There's another illustration I found, which I, it was so descriptive. Uh, one may compare tradition to the shell of a blue crab. To live and grow, the blue crab must shed its shell from time to time. Until it creates a new shell, the crab is extremely vulnerable. But if the shell becomes so strong and rigid that the crab cannot escape, that is the shell in which it dies. How many church denominations, local groups have died simply because they adopt a practice like the blue crab, unwilling to change. There's a vulnerability like that blue crab. When we change, we're awkward. We feel insecure. We're unsure. But sometimes we have to shed some of the traditions that have made us feel so safe and so secure and so comfortable. Traditionally. What have we done, Central Baptist Church? Well, in recent years, we have adopted the tradition of becoming one church in two places. Is that forever? Or ought we to be thinking as the church? I remember when we started 
Brad led us in worship, and there were 40 of us on green chairs. He stood over there, more or less, with Yaku and Salet, and, and led us with the guitar. The church has developed. At the hill, the church is, at Arcadia, the church has developed. How do we, how do we adjust so that we can meaningfully minister to the community the gospel to a community that is moving, as it were, to a new address. Some of you are older, know that we've changed, and some of that change has been difficult. We used to only sing hymns. I remember the time at even Central Baptist Church where we took up the offering, men only, jackets and ties. That wasn't such a long time ago. We've, we've changed, and I think it's good that we've changed in, in certain areas. Uh, our timing, we, we, we historically have met here at the hill at 8.30. Is that still a good time? We're full up this morning. We spoke last year, last year about another service. When, when should that service be? That's going to be awkward. It's going to be difficult to change. But, but we can't just continue as we are. That, that's the point. We've got to be rethinking. Do we, do we expand the building? Do we build another building? Uh, what changes in terms of the way we do youth ministry? Uh, Talama, he, he has had such great, God has used him greatly at Awana at Arcadia. But you know what? We had to change a tradition. Because the community in Arcadia does not come out at night. It's dangerous. So when do we do Awana at Arcadia? Talamo, three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Lots of young people come. They walk, isn't it? So if we didn't do that, how would we reach the boys and girls in that area? Do you get the idea? So which of the traditions, leaders, members of this church need to be kept, which need to be shared? Because hanging on to obsolete traditions will lead to decline and death. But having the courage to assess and evaluate and change, implement change, will lead to growth. Number two, traditions need to serve the spread of the gospel. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. Right through, to, I'll only quote a bit of it. He says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel unchanging preaching of the gospel at Central Baptist Church. We are not going to deviate. We will seek to remain firm, uh, standing four squarely on the gospel as given to us, as, as revealed in the scriptures. We're going to do that. But then Paul says later on in that passage, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Standing on the truth, but applying it in a meaningful way in a community and a culture amongst the people, amongst the generation, that they understand. So in defining tradition, we need to seek to be building bridges rather than erecting barriers. If God has called us to reach the world, then we must act with courage. The Apostle Paul again in, in a missionary effort, 1 Corinthians 10, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go and eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience, eat it. What, what are you going to do when you visit Darren in Ecuador and there's a little animal with spiky teeth turning around on a spit and you're asked to eat that for supper? The, the point is you're supposed to eat it. 
There are those things, of course, that will offend. We must understand that not everybody will receive the gospel in a pleasing and welcome way. The gospel, we are told in the scripture, is a stumbling block. And even the Apostle Paul speaks about it being the aroma or the smell of death to the unbeliever. So we need to understand that. But the point is that non-essentials must never get in the way of limiting us in our efforts to reach others with the gospel. Which leads me, in fact, I, I, I misled you. I have a fourth point. Tradition can only be a useful servant if it knows its master. This is my last point. Which leads me to the second fatal spiritual pitfall. The source of your authority. You remember when you were a little child? So I grew up in a family of four. I was number three. And I remember clearly, and I've seen this repeatedly, even amongst the smallest of children playing out in the yard. We used to play in the street back in those days. And uh, little brother come running along. Mommy says, uh, or not mommy says, no, just you got to come in and wash your hands for supper. What's the first response the child says? Who says? Isn't that so? Who says? And, and we continue that practice throughout our lives. When we are told something, we, we give weight to the person who actually is giving the command. And so the question is, what weight do we as a church, what weight do we as individuals give to what God says so clearly in his word? I have a couple of examples. What weight do we give to the gospel that God has given to us where God says to us, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Is, is that really what we believe and stand on? Or do we go with liberal theology that said that this is simply mythological? What weight do we give to the debate about a description of who man is, mankind, woman? Secular thinking these days will tell us that man is basically good. But what does God say? God says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What, do, we, do we believe that? Do we stand on that? And then we get to some of the touchy issues, the contemporary issues of our day. What weight do we give to the truth of God when he says something in terms or something about gender identity? Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, he made them. Male and female, he created them. And, and folk, I want to tell you, 2023, that pressure is going to come even stronger into the church. What about marriage? Do we believe uh, sociology that tells us simply that marriage is a social construct of convenience? Or do we believe God? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Not man, man, woman. No. Salvation, the necessity of being born again, judgment, topic that is so uh, unpopular in our own day. It is appointed unto, unto man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And there's so much more. What does God say about worship and ministry? The church, the body of Christ. Do we really believe that this local body at the hill, in all of its imperfections, 
as God is still at work in, in ironing out the wrinkles and getting rid of the spots. This is the church that we ought to love. Justification, sanctification, the second coming, looking forward to the second coming, heaven, hell. And, and so the question is, in your life, in our life as a church, who says? God says. God says. And Mark chapter 7, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. How stupid. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God to establish your own tradition. So, folks, it's a serious matter. It's a crucial matter in the life of of the church in in our own uh, day. Uh, God is serious about his people obeying his word explicitly. It does not leave scope for any other authority. God's word above all else. If you love me, John writes in chapter 14, verse 15, you will keep my commandments. I thought I'd identify some of the uh, subtle ways in which we can be distracted. Subtle authorities, we can so easily place them over the word of God. Respected men and women. So you know somebody that you've respected Perhaps this person has been a mentor for you, uh, this man or this woman. And so they say, is it, does it conform to the word of God? Second temptation to change and not to submit to God is what I've called deviant family behavior. Very sadly, I have seen this repeatedly over my years in the ministry. Somebody will hold particular convictions regarding uh, pro-life until their daughter falls pregnant at 15. Who says? Then, of course, forceful men and women uh, that sometimes can try and uh, set an agenda in a church. Who says? I want to also caution you today a particular church or Bible teacher, I want to tell you that whether it be Charles Spurgeon or John MacArthur, they have blind spots. They're good teachers. Don't get me wrong. But they're not God. Tradition, our constitution, or in our postmodern era, of relativism, what do you think? You see, folk, all of these approaches, they, well, not all of them, some of these approaches have value. Of course, I love Charles Spurgeon. But there must never be a time when the servant can prescribe to the master. Servants are to be unreservedly, unquestionably committed to the word of their master. And so let me draw this to a conclusion. Close. Hearts far from God are more likely to fear man rather than God. I have a book on my shelf when God is small and man is big. We don't want to be guilty of that kind of viewpoint. Whereas hearts filled, and this is, I'm coming back to this issue of hearts filled with the love for God. 
are more likely to fear God and obey him. Let us be a church that fears God, loves God, delights in God, serves God, pleases God, submits to God. See, folk, no other way will do. I never want to hear those words, and I pray God would never hold me accountable in leading others astray. In vain do they worship me. I hope and trust and pray that that pitfall would not be something true of any one of us. And so are you resolved in 2023? Submit, obey to God's word wholeheartedly. And Lord, I pray to that end. Lead us as a church. Protect us from the evil one. Lord, we know again the, 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 the reality that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and evil forces in the spiritual realm. We know that the evil one masquerades as an angel of light. We know that the evil one comes seeking to devour like a lion. But Lord, we look to you. We know that you will hold us, that you will keep us, that you will lead us. But Lord, in as much as we hold on to your, uh, the fact that you are all-powerful, that you are sovereign, that you have given promises, Lord, we too have responsibility. May we be responsible this year in avoiding these spiritual potholes along the way, giving us strength, and Lord, to the glory and praise of your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.